On today's episode, we are back with part two. We are interviewing Cody McBroom of Tailored Coaching Method again, and we are shifting the conversation today from training and nutrition into entrepreneurship and fatherhood. We talk about ways that he has maintained his clarity and how he continues to show up as the best version of himself in all areas of life as a husband, a boss, a father, and more. So please take a listen. If you enjoy this episode, remember to share it out uh, with a friend, tag us on Instagram, and let's dive in. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators, and this is The Food Code. Welcome back to The Food Code. We have another awesome interview today with a part two. I will say, Cody, You've gotten probably the most fans from our listeners. I got a lot of good, like a lot of people that mentioned that your podcast was one of their favorite podcasts, Mm -hmm. um, one of their favorite interviews. So kudos to you. Awesome. Um, I mean, no surprise, obviously. We talk about you on our podcast. Yeah. Hopefully that's not weird, but we'll always like reference you or we'll post um, some of your episodes in the show notes. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. they love you. So Cody McBroom is back um, for part two. And on the last podcast, you can go back and listen. Um, We talked a lot about training training for females and, you know, exercise patterns and all of that. So today we're going to shift gears a little bit into, you know, fatherhood, balance, all of the good, you know, life, life things. But before we do that, I wanted to touch really fast, take advantage of having you on our podcast um, and touch really fast on what you talked through in one of your podcasts recently around metabolic adaptation, because this is something that Liz and I have discussed ad nauseum. Um, But talking a little bit about pace of adaptation, because I think that's something that, you know, we haven't discussed much. We talk about the general topic of it, um, but talking about how different people adapt at different paces to calorie deficits and changes in their diet. So could you, could you chat on that? And also for people that didn't listen to the last podcast, give us, you know, a brief introduction, who you are, what you do. Yeah, I won't, uh, I won't give the whole, the whole spiel again, uh, because that also encourages people to go listen to the other episode. (laughs) Uh, But I'm glad to hear that people liked it. It's always a good thing when I hear, uh, my tangents and rants are, are received well. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, but as I said, my name is Cody McBroom. I'm the owner of Tailored Coaching Method, a podcast host of Tailored Life Podcast. Uh, we have the app, Tailored Trainer, and uh, I'm just a coach and a dad and a husband, and I love creating content. That's the, the nutshell version of it. Um, but metabolic adaptation, that's a, it, it's such a, um, it's a funny topic because I, I, it's something I've been really passionate about for a really long time, that and periodization, because it was kind of the thing that really catapulted me into the industry. Not like it's what separated me from people, but it got me interested in my career because I was a trainer and I wasn't super into nutrition. Then I did a bodybuilding show, a physique competition, and uh, got completely shredded and gained it all back and then some afterwards because after my 12-week prep, I was like, all right, see you later, coach. I'm going to go on a cruise with my girlfriend and hit the buffet, you know, that whole thing, which you don't want to do right after a show. And uh, I gained a bunch of weight. And so I went in this rabbit hole of, uh, I mean, ultimately, as close to depression from a body image perspective as you can get. I mean, I grew up the chubby kid and then I gained a bunch of weight before I lost weight. And then I hit my peak pinnacle condition in my mind. Right. And then I just gained a bunch of weight back and throw it all away in a week. And it just, it crushed me. So I started researching stuff and I found Lane Norton who started talking about uh, metabolic damage, which we don't call it that anymore. Um, but that sent me down a tailspin of researching the metabolism and hormones. And then I found Eric Helms in the muscle and strength pyramids and started learning more about calories. And, uh, people start talking about reverse dieting late, uh, very shortly after that. And, uh, so it's always been a passion of mine to, to really research and teach on reverse dieting, metabolic adaptation and periodization in general, because it changed a lot for me in the sustainability factor. But I think a, a good thing for people to know before going into this conversation or this topic is that we shouldn't be afraid of metabolic adaptation. Um, it's why they stopped calling it metabolic damage. In fact, there was a, a meta-analysis and for people listening, a meta-analysis is basically a study of a bunch of studies. So it's, uh, I'm not a researcher, so I can't say this for sure, but I would say it's one of like the, the best forms of 
research we can get because it's mm-hmm. yeah it's Reliable. a study a bunch of studies right so they did a re, uh, meta-analysis on um basically the metabolism and weight loss and post weight gain or something i can't remember what the the meta-analysis was called um but it was a pretty popular one it wasn't very long ago and basically uh part of the conclusion showed that uh metabolic adaptation is correlated with success so basically if you dieted successfully and maintained the weight loss that you lost, you are going to show metabolic adaptation greater than somebody didn't. And it makes sense because part of metabolic adaptation is the fact that if you are a lighter weight, you will not have as high of a, of a caloric intake for maintenance, right? Because you don't have as much body mass. You don't need as many calories to maintain. So I think it was cool that that came out because then it, a lot of people could kind of stop and go, oh, okay, well, this is normal. You know, we don't have to freak out about it. Um, it's just part of the process. So metabolic adaptation is the act of your metabolism adapting. Now, I would say your hormones also adapt. Uh, muscle physiology adapts. There's a lot of things that adapt during a fat loss phase. But some of the, the biggest components of it uh, are what we focus on when we consider metabolic adaptation. And basically, we drop calories and lose weight and or lose weight. Both of those two things directly are going to cause metabolic adaptation to happen. When we drop calories, that's the thing that we're looking at as far as these fast responders or adapters. Um, and they would call this a thrifty metabolism. So a thrifty metabolism is the uh, basically a sense that your metabolism is thrifty. It can, it can shift very quickly. And it, and really what that is, it's, it's compensating fast. It's not really going to happen from weight loss per se, because it's a very linear process. The more weight you lose, like the rate at which you lose is the rate at which your metabolic adaptation occurs, if that makes sense. So if you're losing at a, a, an acceptable and healthy rate of loss, it's going to be a pretty normal curve of metabolic adaptation, like slowly, but surely you're going to have a lower maintenance intake, right? Sure. Um, but with calories, we see it much, much quicker. And that's where if you drop calories quickly, we're going to see how your body responds. Now, what people also need to remember is that this can be a good thing and a bad thing, right? It's a, it's a good thing in the sense of a reverse diet. And I mean, really, if we think of health and survival, it's actually, it shows your body's functioning pretty well. It adapts really quickly. Now, obviously we're not worried about surviving anymore. We're worried about right. getting a six pack. So it's not that cool. Mm-hmm. But during a reverse diet, it's pretty nice. And we all have those people that, you know, we called them hyper responders for a long time. And it's like you reverse diet them and they get leaner. And then people started going, oh, I was in starvation mode. So I just need to eat more and fuel my fat loss. And it's like, well, no, that's, that's not it either. Uh, what's happening here is you increased calories and there was an energy flux. So energy flux is where we increase calories and then our calorie expenditure increases linearly with mm-hmm. it. So people won't notice it. Um, they can notice a little bit if they're tracking, uh, their needs or their steps. And then also I would say if you're, if you're closely monitoring your performance in the gym, you can see it too, because if you start reverse dieting and all of a sudden you notice like, oh, actually I started doing four sets instead of three. So you added volume, you started doing 10 sets instead of, or 10 reps instead of eight, started adding weight to the bar. You started, uh, your heart rate was higher when you were doing cardio. Like that's literally your energy expenditure increasing. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways I try to help people respond this way during reverse is like, Hey, if we can monitor our training volume, our our repetitions, our load, even how, like if you're doing walking on a treadmill or whatever, like at 2.5 miles an hour, bump that up to 3.5 because you're going to have the energy to do it. So let's, as we increase calories, let's increase our output, not necessarily our time in the gym because then that defeats the purpose. Like, yeah, you can eat more, but now you're at the gyms for hours on end but we can increase the intensity and the effort and the energy expenditure going in the gym. Yeah. Um, now the downside is where somebody decreases calories to lose fat and nothing happens. Right. And this is because they have a thrifty metabolism and there's only certain aspects of your total daily energy expenditure and your BMR that you can actually monitor that get compensated. So for example, neat is, is people think of neat and they think of step count. Step your step count is literally just the only aspect of meat you can even track, right? I'm I'm one. What's today? That's how far I did the diet. It's Tuesday. So uh, as of tomorrow, <laughs> I'm a week away from my photo shoot. So I'm getting like leaner and leaner. So my meat's just been dropping more and more. And there are certain things I noticed that the normal person wouldn't notice as much. So on Saturday, we took my daughter to her uh, ballet recital for this. Uh, it was hilarious, but they were recycling. So we can't go in there. So we're standing down and we're talking to this other parent. And after a while, I noticed that I was like leaning on the wall, just super hard. And my wife and her standing up totally normal. And after a while, I was like, 
God damn, I am like really <laughs> at a depth. I never do like this or I'll be at the grocery store and I'm like leaning over the handles, <laughs> pushing it, you know? And that's when I know I'm like, okay, I'm dieting, but I can't really, I can, I can track that. But then the only thing I can do is go, Oh shit. Like, let me correct myself and try to stand up. But my blinking will literally slow. I don't, I'm not going to monitor that. How much I talk probably won't, to be honest with you. That one will probably stay for me. Uh, but fidgeting throughout the day, like all these little things actually do result to more. And if you want to really get into like the molecular side of things, there's probably even some slowdown of like, if you get a cut, like it's going to, it's not going to heal as fast. If you, you're exactly your hair growth, isn't going to grow as fast. Your fingernails aren't going to grow as fast. Most people don't notice that stuff. Um, but you will notice those. Like if you, if you pay attention to that during the reverse diet, you'll see those things happen. Right. Um, but what I try to do with people is just let them know like, Hey, really, we can't be sure if you have a thrifty metabolism or not. The fact is, is just being aware and educated around it. So we know that people, some people have a thrifty metabolism. Some people don't. I do not. I've adjusted my diet three times. And the third time was this week. And it's because like, we're like, okay, we're going to like make a massive drop. And then I'm going to carve up before the photo shoot. So really two adjustments in an eight week diet for me. And it's because I make one little tweak and then I just fucking coast slowly. And that's just how my body is. I don't adapt like negatively like that, but I don't have a crazy response to a reverse diet. Like some people do. So it's a, you know, it's a give or take. Um, other people it's, you got to make an adjustment to the diet every couple of weeks. Cause they're just constantly adapting. Right. And we know this with people who are hard gainers, it's very similar. So you increase their calories, you want them to gain muscle and they're just not gaining any weight, but it's because now they're talking more, they're standing more, their steps go through the roof, they're fidgeting more and they're just burning more calories. So I've had clients like that who are trying to gain size and I've literally decreased their step count while increasing their calories. Cause I know if I don't do that, and give them a, a maximum, like, I don't want you doing more than this many steps. They'll just keep burning the calories I give them. So ultimately it becomes, <laughs> okay, I know it's crazy. Uh, no, I'm problem. laughing because that is Liz. Well, and, and this is true because I go back to my tracker with Ariel, for example, when we stopped the cut, my steps are like 18 to 20,000 all the time. I don't stop moving. She never stops yeah. moving. And so I think this is really important to touch on though, because as you're saying, and I believe it was Lane Norton or Jade Tata, one of the two, they did a study of themselves just on camera showing the difference of being in a deficit compared to maintenance. And he was just watching how much he fidgeted and how much he blinked. I'll have to see if I can okay. find that YouTube video. You know what I'm talking up. about? Yeah. 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 Uh, Lane. Yeah. Unless Jade did it too, but I do remember Lane, Lane doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. Like I, I can almost guarantee I have so much content that I can almost, I, I'll probably do the same thing. I'll probably pull up a YouTube video oh. for one of them that I started compared to now. And I guarantee it'll be the same. Um, but I think just having the awareness and then really it, it comes down to learning the client over time. So I am much more able to understand how my body works. I've dieted more than once. And if I have a client who I've been with for a long time and I've made manipulation, like we've periodized over the year, it's way easier to take them through a diet because I know how their body responds. Um, but that's also why a lot of times I will make a more aggressive approach at the beginning. And that's kind of what the video was about. It's like, there's a lot of people who they think slow and steady is better for fat loss. And I would agree. Most research shows time and time again that slow and steady is going to maintain more muscle, better metabolic health, like you're going to have less adaptation, so on and so forth. But a lot of people don't realize that most research done on fat loss, they're putting clients in a minimum of 20% deficit, mm -hmm. right? There's some studies like the 5-2 the refeed study where they had five days on, two days off. I think that was a 25% deficit. I want to say the Matador study was a 35% deficit where they had diet breaks every couple mm -hmm. weeks. Um, and then normal obesity trials. I mean, there's some like ultra low calorie diets that they're eating 50% deficits mm -hmm. compared to what their maintenance is. So when people jump into a deficit and they go, all right, I'm just going to pull a little bit of calories and they pull five to 10%. My response is always like, that's never your initial drop in calories. I shouldn't say never, but usually that's not going to be your initial drop. Yeah. That'll be your adjustment later on. When you hit a plateau, yeah, pull five to 10% calories because you've already been making progress. But if you don't make a 15 to 25% adjustment, which granted 25, 30% is really difficult to adhere to for a lot of people, um, understandably, you're kind of in this maintenance range, right? Because maintenance mm -hmm. isn't like a single set point. It is a moving target. Yes. And so if we have this, let's say two to 300 range. So if you think your, your maintenance calories are 2000, it's really somewhere between 1700 and 2300 and you drop from 2000 to 1850 and nothing happens. 
Well, it's because your body compensated by lowering aspects of need that you can't control most likely. And then now you're just stuck there eating less food, which does cause a stress and getting no results, which frustrates you causing psychological stress. And then you're just wasting time. Right. Mm -hmm. So my approach is always like, Hey, let's try to guess where this maintenance range is. I would rather plan for a diet break relatively quickly just in case that like I, I give you this diet and you're like, holy shit, this is hard to adhere to because I haven't been in a diet for a while. But ultimately it's like, let's make a dent in it. And research shows too, from a motivational perspective, people are much more likely to adhere long-term if they get some fast results at the beginning. Mm-hmm. They want to see progress, right? So um, I've always tried to just educate people on this idea of the thrifty metabolism so that they can understand that, you know, we probably need to break through that maintenance range at first and then make those small little digs at calories as time goes. So we don't waste time. We don't spin our wheels. Um, And the only way that we can truly compensate for this is trying to maintain our activity in the gym with our cardio or our step count while doing it. So if we know that aspects of our total daily energy expenditure are going to drop that we cannot control or really be conscious or aware of, then we should probably increase our steps a little bit as we enter the diet, because that is a way of compensating for the compensation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say you can turn up the intensity in cardio or something like that. But a lot of times when we start a diet, we're not necessarily throwing the whole kitchen sink at them. So they might not be doing cardio at that point. Um, But yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the, in in kind of like an overarching theme, uh, like obviously I think I did a reel on it, which was 60 seconds. So this is nice to be able to elaborate a little bit more. Um, I thought you weren't going to succumb to the short, (laughs) short content. I agree with you wholeheartedly agree with you 60 seconds is hard to talk about a concept and you've been long form content I mean since I've known you which I was actually laughing this morning when I was doing my garage grinder one of your videos in the app was like you had to be like 22 21 maybe (laughs) Um, and I was like man Cody has grown so much but anyways you've always been about the long form and I love like the blogs they're amazing obviously like your podcast listen to it for years and the YouTube that you're getting into now and so just don't shy away from that like is what I'm saying but I'm glad that you are yeah that's always our priority um is the the podcast the YouTube videos and then the blog um and then Instagram comes next and Instagram everything I post there is almost always going to be something I've already done in long form and then I just Send try to surprise. yeah and try to get them to go learn more because and for coaches listening I think people make the mistake of thinking that you know more engagement equals more leads or more successful business but it's just never the case because the reality is is somebody who only has a 60 second attention span is not going to be a great client period. Mm -hmm. So, um, I might try to gain attention from them, but I'm going to send them elsewhere. And if they, if they take in my long form content, we always end up with more committed clients that are actually adherent. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and we are able to teach them more. So when they come on board, they have a little bit better understanding of what they're getting into, you know? Um, Absolutely. They're always the best clients that are like, Oh yeah, I've listened to or followed or read or, you know, whatever. It's gone through your mini courses that you have. And it's like, Oh, I'm glad that you're actually paying attention to these things. But anyways, but um (laughs) this is i think this is really important what i can do and i'll link it out in the show notes for everybody that's listening is you know have you guys go back and watch some of these things that you've done or read some of those articles that you've um you know written because i think it's really important for people like i almost feel that maybe you feel the same way metabolic adaptation or metabolic compensation has become such a buzzword in the industry now like everybody's using it yet people still aren't doing the things that they need to do to actually get the people you know, to where they need to be metabolically, let's say like reverse or be transparent. Like had a conversation with a couple of our clients this week. We have not reversed and sat at maintenance long enough. You did it for a week. You ate more calories for a week. Going back into this deficit is not, you know, going to work. And so understanding that there is time and patience and consistency also that goes into yeah. this um, is important. Well, you, you know, I did a, I think it's going to air this week at some point as we're recording this. Um, I did a full podcast uh, physique update. So it was like basically like my whole cutting journey. And uh, cause I've gotten questions of like, so right now I'm, I'm every week I'm losing, I'm, I'm leaner than I've been in years and I'm already leaner than I was in my last photo shoot and I'm almost 10 pounds heavier. And so I'm like talking about all this stuff in there and I'm dieting on more carbs than I've ever dieted on. I'm like, it's, everything is just going so much easier. And it's because I haven't dieted in like two to three years, yes. right? My yes. last photo shoot was in August, 2019, right? So I dabbled and I talked about this too. I, I tried to diet twice between then and now, but I knew when it wasn't appropriate, right? There was the, the first time was, um, 
I think it was the holidays. I was like, I don't care about the holidays. I'll, <laughs> I'll power mm-hmm. through that. And then, like, you go to like, like you come home and you smell like baked goods once and you're like, ah, fuck this. Okay. This isn't the yes. right time. And Mentally. Then, uh, that's so true. Yeah, we talk so with hard. our clients all the time. I'm like, you will know when you are mm-hmm. mentally ready to diet and when you are not. And yeah. people, and it's so it's hard. It's good to have that awareness and, and, and be able to throw in the towel without like guilt tripping yourself yes. because the way I looked at it was like, I, I don't like, I'm not a treats guy, so I'm not going to like indulge too much, but I know for a fact, if I have to use willpower or say no more than normal, it is going to rub my family wrong. And it's going to waste away my own willpower and discipline. Cause it's not infinite. What's the point? Like, why not wait to a better time? Right. And so I waited and then, uh, my daughter was having kidney surgery again, like horrible time to try to diet. And so like, as I started dieting and then we had to quarantine ourselves, I was like, okay, this is stupid. And so I got out of it again, went to maintenance for a while. Um, but all of that was for the right reasons. And going into it this time, my metabolism was in a better place. My stress was in a better place. I had more muscle tissue than ever before. Like it just made everything just work way better, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. it's like the, the most, the, the truth is, is that it's like also it's the most exciting because results have been so great, but it's also the most boring cut ever because it's like, well, no adjustments. You're killing it. Like, just keep going. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, well, okay. We're not going to do anything. Let's just yeah. Absolutely. To work. <laughs> and you've but, navigated some pretty crazy, stressful times, right? Like you got sick when you got your tattoo, flew out, did a seminar, but you still stayed the course, which I think also shows resiliency too, yeah. right? In, yeah. In a cut. I think once you travel, like after you get experienced a while, like traveling becomes pretty easy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. and, and lucky enough for me, uh, I was traveling with uh, one of the people that were speaking with me as well. One of my really good friends, Brad who is sober and a bodybuilder. This we just had him on the podcast. Yeah. Yes. We know so like, Brad. Literally like staying in a hotel room with like healthy stuff around me and no alcohol. I'm like, this is the easiest thing ever. <laughs> like, Except for I his know. donuts and his Pop-Tarts, man. I was, joking. Oh, like, I was teasing him when we were podcasting with him a couple. I was on his podcast. I don't know when it was when we were talking about all of the th- crazy stuff that he gets from people for showing donuts and Pop-Tarts. Yeah. And it's like... I used so to, he, I, when I was on RP strength, pop tarts were, I was a shredded. I wasn't super healthy, but like I ate pop tarts post, post workout. I mean, it's a, it's a fast acting carb. It makes it's, sense. At yeah. Time, yeah. You know? That was one of the yeah. options. It's all in, it's all in balance. Right. But uh-huh. he, yeah. quick little story about him was funny. He was, so he was uh, at my house. I don't remember when it was before we spoke. And, uh, in the middle of the night, it was like two in the morning, my ring alarm like went off my phone. So I like, I like, cause we have it on like alarm mode but just home so just don't leave the house kind of thing but uh i like woke up and like looked at it and i see brad walking in his underwear to my kitchen and grabs the peanut butter and he's sitting at my counter eating peanut butter and so in the morning i'm like bro are you eating peanut butter in my kitchen in your underwear it's like yeah i was like i have cameras you know everywhere huh? <laughs> it was so funny oh my gosh that's amazing that's awesome i actually had a friend growing up that used to store food underneath the bed when she would stay over and one time my mom legit found a rotisserie chicken underneath the bed that she slept in and she was like Kristen (laughs) like you have to stop taking food like it was like the sleepwalking thing that she would do it would be Mm -hmm. cereal it would be anything and everything but yeah the rotisserie chicken was like my mom said literally I will tie the refrigerator doors like with the zip tie because you can't just I mean obviously it's unsanitary too but yeah. <laughs> anyways <Not a> <laughs> let's okay. let's talk dad life and entrepreneurship yeah. um yeah. so you guys have heard Cody talk about um his little girl she's so cute by the way I saw your stories of the little ballet <laughs> oh my God. any type cool. of children sports or like it's hilarious mm-hmm. I have Carson and t-ball right now and whenever one person hits the ball all of them run to it like even the base runners run to go get yeah. the ball yeah. It's the best. It's it, the parents yeah. just laugh. Like we just, <laughs> it's just I love yeah. it. Um, anyway, so I would love for you just to kind of share a little bit about like how your business has changed, your mindset, right? Bringing her in, obviously, Becca and I know from the mom standpoint, like it's hard being an entrepreneur. Now you've got these little ones who rely on you and look up to you and all of these things. But what would you say is, you know, kind of been the biggest shift um, for you with business and just life in general? Yeah, it's it's been a wild journey because, you know, she so I started my business when I found out we were going to have her. So I was a trainer and I had always known I was going to start something. But like most people, I procrastinated because I was comfortable. I was the top trainer at the gym. I was making what I thought was decent money for a trainer who's young. And I I just I wasn't ready. 
mentally to like step out and just do my own thing. And then we found out we were going to have a kid and I was like, it's kind of now or never. And if I don't put my back against the wall, I'm just never going to do it. So I ended up hiring a coach, like a, uh, like a business, more of like a life coach. Cause truthfully, we didn't talk business or marketing the entire time. It was more just life. And that's what allowed me to excel. But, um, and, and Liz, you know him, Steve Krebs. Yeah. So I hired him and I paid him more money than I had ever paid anybody in my entire life. And, uh, more money than I could afford on a monthly basis. But I, I basically just, I remember waking up one morning and telling Shannon, I was just like, I'm going to spend an uncomfortable amount of money on a life coach that I think is going to allow me to like really build the life I want to build. And she was like, great, just don't tell me how much. And I was like, awesome. And, uh, and we didn't share accounts at that point. So uh, I could actually do that. And uh, so I ended up, we, we bought our first house and I, uh, right before we did, I remember telling her it was, it was weird circumstance. Cause I told her this and then we went to go buy our house and then I couldn't qualify cause I quit my job. So she was like, everything was on her and she was the breadwinner for a while. And uh, I basically was just like, Hey, I think I'm going to, I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up all of my clients. Cause I don't want, you know, any issues that I didn't have a non-compete or anything, but I was like, I'm going to hand over all of my clients because I want to leave respectfully and I'm going to start from scratch. And, uh, she gave me her blessings. Obviously she was nervous about it, but I, I gave in my notice. I stayed for like two or three months to transition my clients away, went out on my own and just started honestly creating content like a madman. It was like, I was on Facebook live almost daily. I wrote a daily newsletter. I wrote, did an Instagram post twice a day, Facebook post every single day. I was posting in my group. I was doing stuff on Twitter. I was doing YouTube, like anything I could do to create, I was creating. I had the podcast already then. So I've been doing the podcast for years now. This was 2017. And uh, from the point of us finding out. So I left the gym. So we found out in July, I left the gym in October. So it was full steam ahead starting in October, 2017. Um, and by the time she had, uh, our daughter, I was able to say like, you don't have to go back to work. You can be a stay at home mom. Like it just exploded. And then I started hiring people. But the first like year of my daughter being born, I was just not present whatsoever. If I'm being completely transparent. And it was because the business was growing at a rate that I just didn't know how to handle. And I didn't have help and I didn't know how to hire help. Cause I didn't know how to train somebody to help me. Cause I knew what I was doing and how I did it, but I didn't know how other people could do it like me. And eventually I got an assistant who looked at my schedule and life and organization and was like, this is chaos. Like, let me try to organize this so somebody else can understand it. So she did. And then I hired a coach and it kind of started growing and everything. But the first two years was just, it was very, very difficult for us. We were, uh, I was working nonstop. She, the baby needed mom more than anybody, but the mom didn't have the support from her husband that she needed to be able to be a good mom to the baby. And we were building a home. So we were living in an apartment because we had to move. And we ended up going from three Airbnbs, my mother-in-law's house, before we could get into this house because it ended up getting delayed. And then our house sold. It was just crazy. Um, and during that time, it was rough. It was, it tested me and Shannon quite a bit. Um, we're much stronger because of it, but there was definitely some, some testing times to say the least. And it was hard. And I won't say I cut people out of my life, but I didn't have time for anybody else in my life for a long time. And it wasn't until, um, I started, I actually think it, it really wasn't until I had a really big shift when my daughter could finally start kind of talking a little bit, like she wasn't saying full blown sentences, but um, in her own way, she basically slapped the phone out of my hands when it was like playtime. And that was like a wake up call for me to be like, holy shit, like, because I was answering emails and trying to do shit on my phone. And uh, that was a wake up call for me. And, and I started delegating like crazy. I was like, I don't care. I could care less how much I make. Like, what are the capabilities of the people on my team? Okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. And I just started handing shit off. I hired Travis full time so he could quit his job as an employee and started giving him more stuff to do to take off my plate. And we were just figuring out how to systemize everything. And lo and behold, as an entrepreneur, letting go of some of those things and allowing other people to do it and, and allowing myself to have more time with my family and actually like back off a bit made us grow. So I didn't lose any money. We just started growing more. And I, I will preface that for, for young business owners, I do think there's a grinding stage. So I don't think I could have done that at the beginning because I wasn't in the position to do so yet. And the business wasn't either. It wasn't mature enough. Um, and so over time things got a little bit easier and, and I started creating more time. And then I just got really, really systematic with my personal life. And I think a lot of people organize and, and create habits and structures and systems in their business or in their nutrition and training, and they forget to do it in their personal life. And mm -hmm. I think that's a problem, you know? So I, I intentionally have specific 
tasks I do every single week as far as like, like I know what chores Shannon hates doing and she, her love language is acts of service. So I'm like, okay, I have a reminder set to make sure I do little things that I know will just make her happy and make her way happier than me leaving a, a note that says, I love you, which my love language is words of affirmation. So for me, it was hard for me to understand, like, how does that sticky note not mean more to you? Cause it's a fucking sticky note. But to me, if you tell me you love me, I'm, you don't gotta do anything. I don't care. Uh, so, but like learning that and then adopting to her love language, you know, and uh, setting boundaries with her as well is like, Hey, like what time do you want me here? Like wh- what would make you happy? And she was, she said 5 PM. And I was like, okay, I will be home at 5 PM every single fucking day. That's it. Right. And so every day for the last, I don't know how many years, like every single day I'm home at five. And it's just a thing. And my dad wasn't at the dinner table when I was a kid. So that's like huge for me, you know, mm-hmm. and we always sit together. We always say grace before and we try to get Blake to do it. And she usually just says, thank you, Lord, for my toy room and my play kitchen, and my Barbies. And it's so cute. And then we're like, and your family, and like, we kind of try to that better. but uh, we, you know, started kind of like systemizing it that way. And, and for me to go, okay, if I got to be home at five to make them happy, what time do I have to wake up and what do I have to get done? And then it was like, how do I make sure I'm productive? Right. And this is where people ask me, like, how do you, how do you hack this? Like, what's your productivity hack? And I'm like, I don't have one. I put my phone on do not serve and I put it in my desk and I just fucking work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and I remove everybody and every notification except Shannon. So Shannon knows like the only way to get through do not serve is if you call me. So if it's emergency, call me twice, like call me and then hang up and call me again. And I'll know. And if you call me once I'll answer unless I'm in the middle of something and she knows that and respects it. Right. So that allows me to get more things done throughout the day so that I actually can be home at 5 PM. Um, and so the balance is it's, it's come a long way. It's been difficult and it comes and goes, you know, because even I look at where I'm at now and I'm like, man, I am so much better than my dad was. And I love my dad and we have a great relationship and I can look back and respect what he was doing because he was doing what he thought was best. And when my parents got divorced, when I was like in fifth grade or something, he had that light check of like, holy shit, I've missed everything. I haven't been on the camping trips. I haven't been into his games. I haven't done anything. I don't even know what he's interested in. Like then he started becoming in my life and everything. And now we're, we're extremely close, but I've just made a point to not do that. However, the thing we always have to remember is that little kids don't get it, right? So mm-hmm. this is something I'm struggling with now because Blakely is still at a stage where she's like, I don't want you to go to work though. Mm-hmm. And it's tough. Like mm-hmm. this weekend, um, she woke up on Sunday. And uh, so this is like very, very present. And it broke my heart. She came into the office where I was at because I wake up earlier than everybody. So I'm just sitting there reading, drinking my coffee. She comes in, sits on my lap, and uh, she just looked at me and she was like, can you please stay home and play with me today? And I said, I was like, it's Saturday. I'm not going anymore. And she was like, she just like melted and she was just so happy, right? But then later she said something else about tomorrow. It was like, well, I got to go to work tomorrow. And she told me she was sad at me and she wouldn't talk to me for hours. Oh my gosh. And it's, and we had to sit her down and like really talk to her. And it's hard because Mm -hmm. no matter what, mom's going to be the good, the good guy, you know? no matter what, because mom doesn't have to leave during the day. Right. And no matter how many times mom tries to explain to her, Hey, like we wouldn't have all this if dad didn't go do that. So he does that. So we can, it doesn't quite register with her fully yet. Obviously I'm a mature, I'm mature enough to know that, but man, that just crushes you. Right. Especially if you only knew like, man, I do, I'm doing so much better than most people. Most, most guys, Mm -hmm. like I, I don't go to work. And this is another kind of thing I have set in place. Like when do I schedule things so that I can work a little bit before they wake up. I can do my morning routine, everything. And then I have an hour to eat and see her because I know what window she wakes up in. And I know I'm not going to schedule calls or anything in that hour because I want to just kiss her goodbye before I go to work. Even if it's like she wakes up and I got to go in five minutes, but I get to hug her. She sees my face before I leave. That's the most important thing. I don't want her to wake up and I'm gone. But most people don't think of intentional things like that. And to be honest with you, if I didn't have a system around it and constant reminders and things like that, I wouldn't either. But you know, I think that's like to answer the specific question to me, that's where things really shifted was when I started being intentional and kind of creating a system around it and looking at my life and going, what can I do? Like, how do I create a system around and gamify it? Like I literally have a, a scoreboard for myself as crazy. As that sounds of like doing the dishes and mowing the lawn and taking out the trash. And like, my wife hates laundry or whatever. She like, that's the one, like she will clean till the cows come. She loves weeding, which is great. Cause I, fucking hate weeding with a passion. That's like the worst one to me. 
but and she actually loves mowing the lawn. I just feel like a dick when my neighbors see my wife mowing the lawn. So I'm always trying to do it first, but I know the laundry is a big one. So when I like try to sneak over and get some something done, I'm going to go to the thing I know she hates. Right. And I have a scoreboard for that. Right. And for most people listening, they probably think it's funny, but when you gamify it and stuff, it's kind of like courting your own significant other. And I, the way I think of it is like, and this is kind of like vulgar, but like, how do I get her to want to, you know, basically. Yeah. And so it's like, I have a scoreboard of like, yeah. I want to make her want me, even <laughs> though she's married to me. So obviously she does, but if you don't gamify it, like that's right. going to slow down too, you know, and same thing with my daughter. How do I make things exciting and spice it up? Right. Yeah. I had to, uh, I had to leave on Saturday for something and, uh, I was bummed because after recital I had to leave, but they left to go to cookie crumble and I drove an extra almost it was probably like 25, 30 minutes, the opposite way to get home. So I could leave a note and a dollar taped to a paper to tell her to go put this in her piggy bank. Cause I knew she was going to go home and she wasn't going to have me for hours, but that 30 minutes of me doing that was worth it. Cause she was so excited to put a dollar in her piggy bank. Yeah. You know, it's little things like that. Like, how do you, how do you gamify it like that? And now I get brownie points to my daughter. Yeah. It's, it's intentionality, you know? And I think that in marriage it, beca- and I think especially the little kid years, it is so hard because it's, like everything is focused on them. You know, we have a nine month old and I have a three year old or almost four year old. And it's like every night it is consumed between six thirty and bedtime them like put them to bed, get them bathed. And it's all like tag team. Like, what can you do? Can you clean up the dishes? I'll do the bath time. Like, and it's just, we maybe my child is being super difficult at bedtime right now. We maybe get 30 minutes together at night when the kids are asleep. And it's just, it, it can so easily turn into mundane routine. And I think a lot of people don't even realize it. And you wake up and you're like, God, it's been like months or like, you know, I haven't had a date night in years with just the two of you. And so it's with your kids, with your spouse, like having that intentionality and having to plan things and be thoughtful and do the hard work because, you know, it's easier to just go through your day-to-day routine. But like for children, something that I've, realize most is children want experiences they like my kid doesn't i bought he we were at target the other day i I walked with my kids to target and he bought this lego like he's obsessed with spider-man and green goblin it's really strange but anyways those are like his two big things and we found a lego set that had spider-man and green goblin he hasn't touched it since saturday but like he talks about wanting to go places and like he remembers the trip that we took to florida 2 months ago and talks about wanting to go back to the florida house and like have the minivan at the florida house the weirdest things but like they want experiences they want to yeah. and those take intention those take planning those take purpose and it's just so much easier not to do that when i think honestly i think humans in general are that way and i even like so the way I look at it with, and this is, this was hard for me. So I grew up with a, a group of guys that were so tight knit. I mean, like to this day, half of us were in first grade together. The other half met in like junior high, high school. But like to this day, there's a group thread. They're super tight knit. Um, there's only a couple of us that have kids now. And I was the first one to really bow out of basically everything. And at first I felt really guilty, but it came down to a situation and all of them love me to death and understand once I explained it. And that's the problem. People do stuff and they don't explain it to the other party. But there was a moment where I had to stop and think like, if I spend the amount of time that I used to spend with my friends, then that's going to take away from my time with my wife. And what you just said there of how limited your time is to connect with your significant other when you have a kid or more, like it's so finite. So to me, it was like, at the end of the day, I have to sacrifice that. So unless it's a birthday party or a Christmas party or something, like I'm going to see my friends couple times a year, maybe, because at the end of the day that like, you know, when my daughter goes down and if we stay up late on a Saturday, which for us is like midnight at most, <laughs> like that's, that's my way. <laughs> that's like once a week, trust me. But that's like, that's like our window. You know what I mean? So like, uh, we, the other weekend we had, uh, we didn't have a babysitter or anything. We rarely do, but like, I know she's been dying. Uh, to, she loves the movie grease. I can't stand it. So I was like, all right, like I set up like grease, popcorn maker, like all the stuff that I knew that she would want, her favorite wine, everything like that. And it's like, this is perfect, right? But stuff like that matters most. And you have to prioritize your life. And and basically your family comes first. And then you have to look at even like for people like us, it's like your business is honestly next. And sometimes there's like distant relatives behind that even and friends behind that. Because as an entrepreneur and as a leader of a company, I took on that role. Yep. And that's just what it is. I have a team of people who rely on me. 
their mortgages are up to me, you know? So um, I think there's a lot of sacrifices, but once you really accept them, they're really not that bad. I mean, that's, at least for me, that's what I pursued everything in life for is to have that family and what I wanted, right? Success in those areas. So um, it can be tough. I think, I don't think there's anything, uh, I don't think balance comes down to time either. Like I've said that many times, I am in this office working far more than the hours of a week that I spent with my daughter. And that's just the reality of it. And it's a lot of people hear that and it sounds bad. The reality is it's impossible to be highly successful in anything if you don't spend more hours doing that. The reason my wife is an amazing mother is because she stays at home and is a mother, mm-hmm. right? Plain and simple. And we made that decision. Like, does she continue working up the ladder in her industry or do I go off and do my own thing? And we actually didn't know at first because she did not want to be a stay-at-home mom. She was like, I'm going back to work. But once she saw my daughter's face, she was like, okay, can I take you up on that still? And I was like, <laughs> absolutely. That's what I wanted. So, but because I spend more time at work, I'm able to be highly successful at what I do. Um, explain that to my daughter is difficult at the age that she's four, but um, yeah, I, I just don't, I think if you look at balance like that, you're going to be in a rat race, you know, eventually you have to realize that balance is about energy. And that's why I still reach out to friends and family and people. I, I know I can't commit to seeing all the time, but I will purposely text them or call them to let them know I love them because that's what matters. Yeah. And I just want to touch on one thing that I keep hearing and that is presence. Like you're very intentional with your time and you're present with wherever you're at. So in the morning time, you're intentionally waking up earlier than everybody else to do work and be present in that. You have that hour, you get to see her say hi, good morning, you know, give her a kiss, give her a hug. You're present in that moment. You go to work, you're present. And I do remember just from, gosh, what was it? Three or four years ago when we worked with you in business coaching, you know, for a brief period of time, there was two things that I took away from a personal perspective. And one of them was the cell phone, uh, you know, face down away. So you have those distract, like lessen the distractions, right? So you can be more productive to then turn around and be present. And the second thing that I took away, and I'm sure you probably still do this, and we've shared this with a lot of clients, at the end of the day, take that five minutes and decompress. For me, it's not laying on the floor. I think that's what you uh, mentioned you did. is like sometimes just lay on the floor and breathe. I'm like, I need to go for a walk. And sometimes I take art with me before we go get Marcus, but like I need to get just out in nature. I need to breathe. I need to be away from the phone, away from the computer, all those things separate that. And then I do my best. I'm still not perfect with it, but to be present. And one of the things that you are saying as a husband, my husband's very good about doing this. You guys had a great uh, coach, I think, uh, for your personal lives too, is making your marriage a priority and remembering that if you don't do that, you're going to end up in a situation where there's a lot of resentment, right? And we've gone through phases where we're challenged, you know, with things or we're stressed and we're, you know, worried about certain things. And obviously that takes away from not your intimacy, but it takes away from like the things, the little things that you do. Like I know, you know, art is very much like you and he likes to leave those little sticky notes or get little gifts here or there, or, you know, just little surprises and things like that. Whereas for me, it's like, I just want to know that, you know, we have our time to like lay on the couch and to cuddle and he loves that too. And so that works for us, but being present in the moments that you have together because it is limited time um, is really important. So I just wanted to reiterate that because that's what I was hearing as a wife. And so I hope that the ladies listening, remember your husband needs the same thing that Cody's talking about that he does for his wife. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do the same thing. Like now that it's nice out, my like five minute decomposure is usually a walk too at night. Like just go in the cold air, go on a walk. Um, but like, I think what you were even referring to what I said before was uh, there was times where I would like go into like the upstairs walk-in closet and lay on the floor and shut the door. Cause I knew I could like hide yeah. and just like meditate. Yeah. But like, if I got to do that, I got to do it. You know, I've, I've pulled over in my truck and meditated in my truck before I get home because if I can create space in my mind, I'm going to be a better, more present husband and father. And even going back to the beginning, talking about diet, when you do this successfully over time, it, it there's, a, there's a few things here. It becomes more normalized in your household, and that's a gift and a curse. So it's a, it's a gift because it, your standard of love and care is at a higher point now. But at the same time, if you don't keep that up, it's felt. So mm-hmm. when I'm you know, this probably like, it was like starting like two weeks ago, Shannon started calling me out on it. Cause I'm fucking tired. I'm dieting. Like I'm in the grind <laughs> state. She was, and she'll just say, she's like, yeah, you're not being, you're not being present like normal. 
Like, and she's a very blunt person. So she'll tell me and I get pissed and defensive and I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. And then later I'm like, fuck, you're right. Like I'm, I got diet fatigue like crazy. <laughs> like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, <laughs> but I can't do the laundry this week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But like they notice, you know, so mm-hmm. you got to keep it up. But I, I do believe I, I've talked about this a lot too on my podcast is like, I believe that happiness and fulfillment just in life in general is uh, very closely correlated to work ethic. And I believe that is in every aspect of life, including your relationships. Because uh, if you look at history, you know, like for example, my parents had it harder, their parents had it harder, their parents had it harder in every single aspect of life, which is also why we shouldn't be fucking complaining about shit. But at the end of the day, it kept getting harder as the, the centuries and decades and everything went by. But depression, anxiety, and stress have gone up in the opposite direction. So as work ethic has dropped over time, all these negative adaptations of our brain has gone up. And that's an issue. And there's not a coincidence here. People who work hard get very fulfilled and rewarded from hard work, and they have more self-respect and appreciation. So they love themselves more because they see what they are capable of doing. Mm -hmm. So I know for me, I had way more respect for myself as a man. I had more confidence. I loved myself more when I started appreciating my wife more and showing her love and being more present with my daughter. And all of a sudden they were responding to me better. And then I felt better. And then I shared that with other people. And it's like this chain reaction, right? And so I think my, because I've gone through things in business as well as where you're like, all right, well, if we make this much money, I'll be good. And then you hit it and you're like, no, that's not the number. This is the number. And you kind of just keep creeping up and it never fulfills you. And you realize that there's no outcome that I'm after. It's the process, right? And so the process is the hard work and the fulfillment of achieving the hard work. So if you don't set up tasks, habits, gamify all this stuff we're talking about, you're not going to feel like you're checking off the boxes and winning the game, so to speak. And that's what it's all about to me. It's, it's all about winning the game. Life is a game. And if I can set up all these things within it and just keep checking boxes and trying to get better... I, I think that's how I become happy and fulfilled. And, and sometimes it's even to my, uh, like it's, it's almost like a double-edged sword because I try to fix everything because <laughs> I'm like constantly trying to improve everything and things have to be fixed right away. And um, me and my wife had that conversation too is because like some people don't want to be helped mm-hmm. and it'll kill me emotionally if they don't and I'm trying so hard. Um, or sometimes people want to be left alone for a little bit and I'm like, no, we have to fix this now. Uh, but point being, I think all this stuff leads to that. Like, I, I really think that hard work and, and effort towards other people, other things in your life, I think that's what leads to happiness and fulfillment and less stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have accountability, if you don't have a system, if you don't have a, a, a drive to start taking action on it, it's never going to happen. Yep. I would say 110% that is every single client of ours that works really hard. They're happier be- for themselves, but also in every other area of their life. People who are identifying as lazy, unmotivated, not a morning person, you name it. Because we're all about like morning routines, getting up early. Like that's how we do it. There's no other time for us to get our workouts in. For moms, there's no other time. If you want to do it, in my opinion, in like a a healthy way, because what a lot of times moms will do are like, well, I stay up late because that's the only time for myself. And it's like, but then we're getting up early because the kids get up early. Then we're lacking sleep. We're not being a... And... Yes, I do believe that there are some people that can do well in the evening. Like I think of Emily Frisella, Andy Frisella. I know they have like different, they also don't have kids. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think as a mom, and I'm sure with you as a dad, like that is the only time (laughs) that I can have to myself that I'm refreshed, that I'm not exhausted from the day. And I can be accomplishing things with no one needing me and not having emails coming through and not having kids at my side. Like it is, it is the only time. And so in turn, I have to get to bed early. And that's a sacrifice too. Like I have, you know, and I've converted my husband. He used to be a night owl. He is now in bed with me at 930. But it's like, it, it's a shift, you know, yeah. it's a shift and it's a sacrifice. Everything is a sacrifice either way, either direction. But I completely agree. And the hard thing is that like mental disorders and, you know, anxiety and depression are a real thing. It is a real problem. But I think that a lot of it can stem from lack of purpose and not feeling like you're accomplishing anything in your day to day. And then it just spirals, you know, like when I know for me going through injuries and stuff like that, as soon as I could the next day, the next second day after surgery, I was back in the gym doing what I could because I knew the longer I would sit on the couch, the less I would want to get back into the gym. Like it, it, it accumulates in a bad way. 
And so, I, totally. I think that, like, I 100% agree. And I think that, um, I mean, I've even heard my wife say it many times where, like, if she wakes up versus my daughter wakes her up, I mean, it puts you in a different mood. That's not that you don't want to be up with your daughter, but, like, when somebody abrupts you, abruptly wakes you up before you're ready, there's no way you're going to be ready to conquer the day. So it's just preparing yourself for what's to come. Um, and I also think that, you know, a lot of people shy away from talking about this stuff because it's out of your scope of practice, but I, I don't give a fuck. I can have my own opinion on anything yep. and people will talk about, and this is to me, it becomes an excuse when people are like, well, certain people have different wiring of their brain. They can't help that they're depressed or anxious. And I would agree that they can't help. They're in that. Well, I wouldn't actually agree with that. They've, they've become in that position and maybe it's, it's too little too late to say that they're not wired that way. But there's a lot of research to show exercise and healthy habits and love and all these different things, physical touch from other people. Those things change the wiring and the neurotransmitters in your brain that will relieve those feelings of, of anxiety, stress, and depression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's exactly why, like, if you're just relying on a pill or just saying that, like, oh, I'm just wired this way, you're just making an excuse because you could be less reliant on that pill. I'm not saying throw away the prescription and just go cold turkey and start doing burpees. Like, what I'm saying is that if you start exercising and trying harder, which I will also totally agree with, is way more difficult when you're already in that state. Do mm-hmm. not get me wrong. It's way more difficult. But if you start making an inch of progress every week, like you will be less reliant on those things. And I've seen it happen before. Um, it's never easy. Like no, creating change, period, is never easy. And work is not easy. But nothing that is worth anything doesn't require sacrifice and hard work plain and simple. Like we were talking about this, uh, I remember who it was, but like just marriage is fucking hard. Parenting is hard. Being a business owner is hard. It would be much easier to be divorced, to be honest with you, because then you wouldn't have, like you get more breaks. It's not always your turn. Like, I mean, really think about it, but that's not what we strive for as humans. Obviously, sometimes it's for the better, obviously, but um, you know, both my parents are divorced twice. So like, I'm not hating on it. I'm working to not be in that situation, but it's, it's, never what we strive for. We're constantly as human beings striving for what is more difficult to accomplish and achieve over time. And there's yeah. a reason for that. Yeah. But I also think that the greatest parents are the ones that work the hardest at it. You know, it's like, I don't know if you know this, but you know, Marcus has been in speech therapy and he just graduated yesterday. And I literally it's like, this is totally me. She tells me that he doesn't have to, you know, do any more speech therapy. He's like above average now or whatever. And I'm like tearing up. I call Art and he's like, fuck yeah, I already knew that. You know, and I'm like, why is it that you have like one view and I have this other view, but we balance each other out. And I think it's the parents that work the hardest together that create, you know, the best, um, you know, kids, because it is freaking hard. It takes a village, you know, and just really quick on the, like the depression and anxiety. There's a couple of really good books that I've been listening to because I have some, um, some clients that have gone off of medication to be able to come off of these things. That's awesome. Right. Because they're, you know, feeling better. But I also have some other clients that it's like, this is really a challenge. And so also educating them on how food impacts their neurotransmitter production and brain inflammation and all of these things, because we did not have these statistics that we have now years and years ago. And there's a really great um, doctor. I was just looking him up, Drew Ramsey. Um, and he is a psychologist, but also, you know, an MD. And he's talking about, you know, merging nutrition and nutritional counseling with, you know, the therapies that they're using because he's like many times you can give that person a sense of purpose in their day. You can give them some tasks. Like you're talking about gamify it, checklist, these things off, and you can get them to change their food. They don't need this stuff anymore. All of a sudden, they feel clearer. They feel more motivated. They want to show up. They get excited. And so, um, you know, I think it's really important, too, to understand that what we're consuming and our food industry is also driving a lot of this, right? Food industry feeds the pharmaceutical industry. It's kind of a big circle here, right? And so understanding, like, this is where having that education, obviously, what you guys do at, you know, TCM, what we do at FitMom, having that education to be able to step away from all of the BS that we're fed every day through social media and all of this stuff is empowering and it's impactful too. And when you can do that and you can take it into your own hands and you can take ownership and accountability, not only are you going to be better, but you're going to be better for your kids. You're better for your wife. You're more patient, right? All of these things. So yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Could yeah. not agree more. I mean, it's, it, I think the bottom line that becomes the barrier is that it's hard. Mm-hmm. It, it is hard to come out of any hole whether it is a weight loss that you know you have you've gained a bunch of weight and you feel horrible physically whether it's a mental disorder that you feel has developed over time and like you've 
you know, felt like you spiraled into depression or anxiety, like they're hard to come out of. And they are, they, they need intentionality. They need purpose. They need a plan and they need action. And, you know, I, I know that I'm sure we've all heard the quote, like action cures anxiety because when we just, the easy route of being a victim, it's easy. You know, uh, this is why I can't accomplish things. Like I worked, I talked with a client yesterday that I've worked with for a long time and she, um, she deals with, you know, some old physic, like she has endometriosis. She has some other things that have limited, limited her physically. And she says, when I was younger, my parents always told me, don't worry, you don't have to do that. It might be dangerous for your body. And so she has in turn created this complex that like, she can't do hard things because she was taught as a child. And that was, you know, basically a learned belief system that she has, she now has developed. And it's very easy to fall into that victim mentality. And, you know, and what I always tell people is try and surround yourself with as much inspirational content, as much, read as many books that are uplifting that don't surround yourself with other people that are victims because you will, you are a product of your environment. I was actually, I'm sure you've read the book Law of Attraction. Um, Really simple, really simple task every day to focus on one thing that was good from your day. A lot of it, yeah. A lot of it is just perspective, right? Like changing your perspective. And, And it sounds so cheesy to say, stop saying the word can't. Stop saying the word won't like, but it's true. Like you just start believing in yourself more. And I think that the two things that stand out to me with this topic is number one, anybody who is highly successful, uh, constantly talks about how things are hard. Right. And why is that? Well, it's because they accept difficulty. If you Mm -hmm. accept that something's difficult, it's not a shock to you. You're just preparing. Mm -hmm. And so when you fall off a little bit or it's hard or you're not like, you're like, yeah, no shit. It's hard. Like that's just part of it. It's difficult. So accepting it is the key to taking action further and and really accelerating over time. Um, and I think that's really important for people to understand. Like if you can get in the mode of, of just accepting things more often, right. And then changing your perspective a little bit. And and I posted about this actually today. Um, and I've talked about it before many times, uh, basically the way to build confidence in your ability to do things is to stop lying to yourself, right? Because every single time you say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and then you don't, you are literally proving yourself that you can't do shit. Mm -hmm. So until you start saying you're going to do something and then you actually do it, whether you fail or not, you tried, that's the only way you can build confidence in yourself because otherwise you're just proving to yourself that you're right. You can't do anything. Mm -hmm. You're not good enough because you keep not trying. So it sounds harsh, but I really think like the accepting difficulty thing and then the stop lying yourself, quote unquote, is is really important for people because I can't tell you how many times like uh, I've I've talked to people about that and it's just like, I mean, it's just lit them up and it's just changed the way they operate and their perspective on things. Cause I'm like, you're literally you're you're the one proving yourself, proving to yourself that you can't do it. Yep. And that's on you. Yep. And one of the big thing that we talked about today is like why do you want to accept anything less? Like, I don't want things to be easy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be average. Like, I want to be hard because like you mentioned before, whether it's business and finances and money and all this stuff, it's like you get there. It's like, no, I want more, right? I want more. And it's not a selfish act. It's the perseverance of excellence. You know, it's like, why do you want life to be easy? Yeah. Why do you want to settle for being average? Like, do the hard things. Show up. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what you're saying. Like, how, that's how I've built confidence over the years. Try, fail, try, fail, try, mm-hmm. fail, improve right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I think programs are so so like, you know, 75 hard or these things that it's a mental challenge. It is you showing yourself that you can do and like it completely transforms people. And that's the, that is what, if you look around the fitness industry and the health industry, I think that there has been a shift in a, in a good way of people talking about drink more water, move your body consistently, eat enough food, lift heavy weights, be patient. Like there is no other option. And sure, if you have some health stuff going on, resolve, heal, like get your body to a healthy place before you attempt maybe more physical feats. But at the end of the day, it's simple. You just have to show up and you have to keep showing up and you have to basically find the process that you can maintain because it's no, there's no secret. There's no magic pill. There's nothing. It is just do the work, show up for the work when you don't want to do it anyways, keep doing it and never stop. And that's, I mean, like, Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. We we don't have a magic pill for you today. And if that's why you're listening, not the people for you. Like things, things are only hard. This is going to sound very rhetorical, but things are only hard when they're hard. And what I mean by that is like until you start just doing hard things, it, like you don't overcome that. 
And then it becomes easy. And then you go to the next hard thing, right? Like I think I've heard many people say, just do one hard fucking thing every day because it's just Mm going to toughen you up. It's going to give you more discipline. And that's not like some hardcore meathead mentality thing. It's just the fact of life. Like if you are able to handle hard stuff, things are just way easier Mm -hmm. to cope with. When serious shit happens in your life, you are going to be able to keep your composure and do the right thing in the right moment because you've done difficult things on a regular basis. Yeah. I just, I started doing 60 second cold showers every morning because I realized exercise is always hard for me, but it's an easy hard for me. Like it's my comfort zone to have exercise be hard. And so I was like, you know what? I really fucking hate cold temperatures. I hate cold things. I told myself I will do anything but this. So let's do it. And I'm on day four and I'll tell you the minute goes by fast. It is not easy. It is not enjoyable, but it goes by fast. And every time I finish it, I'm like, God, I'm so glad I did that. And it starts my day really well. We did a challenge with that too on our team and it was like, I hated every moment of it. (laughs) I hated it. (laughs) Luckily for me, our master shower, it actually doesn't get, I I would like it to get really cold. Art would like it to get really, really cold. We can't figure it out. I don't think ours gets that cold either. Like it's cold for sure, but like it's not like ice bath cold. Yeah. So not like the cold plunge I did in Mexico. That was cold. But anyways, um, thank you again so much for coming on. It's always a great um, conversation with you and I'm excited to share this out with everybody again. So anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, not at all. Thank you guys for letting me come back on and and, uh, just talking about the shit I love to talk about. This is always great. So I appreciate it. I appreciate sharing your audience with me. Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.